Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your family are also doing well. We are talking about the subject of uh, our identity, uh, who our identity and our authority in Christ Jesus. So that's what we are talking about. And we are talking about who we are in Christ. And, uh, you know, I'll continue with that before I go onto the authority of the believer. So um, I'll, I'll uh, continue where we left off yesterday. And I want to share with you uh, from Ephesians chapter 1. Um, actually, yeah, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now this is uh, from the first chapter of Ephesians, the third verse. And it says that God has already, I want you to notice the past tense. Take note of the past tense in the scripture. Not that God will bless us with every blessing in Christ, but he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That means every blessing that is in Christ, God has already blessed us with it. We already have it. Now, this is an element we must always uh, uh, remember that uh, the promises, you know, there are one thing that God has promised for the future. And, uh, but there are also a lot of things that God has said that he has already done for us. And for example, by his stripes, we have been healed. That's something which is already done and settled. And, uh, uh, you know, and this is another one. It says we have been blessed with every blessing in Christ. So where you are right now, as you are right now, doesn't matter how long you have been a Christian. I want you to know that according to the word of God, you and I are blessed with every blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. We have already been blessed. We already have those things in us. So how do we walk in those things? Well, uh, first of all, with thanksgiving, we give thanks to God and we say, Father, I thank you for what you have already done for me, that you have blessed me with every blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. And, uh, and then we, we confess it and we acknowledge it with our mouth because this is very important. The more we give thanks to the Father because he has said that he has, he has already given it to us and the more we, uh, more we acknowledge it and confess it with our mouth, the more uh, we will see, how do you say, the, it is already real, but you see, it's one thing for something to be a, a, a spiritual reality or a legal reality, and, and it's another thing for it to be a dynamic reality. A dynamic reality is when that reality, which is a spiritual reality, becomes an experiential reality in your life. Because, you know, it's like, it's like this. It's like you have money in the bank. You have, say, a million dollars or whatever in the bank. You have a big sum of money in the bank. Well, that's your legal reality. You have money in the bank, but you, do you know you can still be living in poverty and uh, you can still be living like a man who has nothing because and there are many reasons for that. There are many reasons for that. One reason is that nobody ever told you. You have the money in the bank. 
You received it as an inheritance. You had a wealthy old uncle who died and left that money for you, but nobody ever told you. So you're rich without knowing it. The other thing is that you don't remind yourself that you have it. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's in a similar fashion that it's one thing what Christ has done for you, but it's another thing for you to actually enjoy it as a dynamic reality. That means you actually experience and enjoy the blessings of that reality. And you do so by thanksgiving, by <coughs> giving thanks to the Father. The Bible says, giving thanks to the Father who has made us meet to be, you know, partakers of this, of, of what the saints in the light have. So we have to give thanks to God for what we have verbally. And then secondly, verbally and vocally acknowledge and confess that, yes, I am blessed with every blessing in Christ. Hallelujah. Every blessing in Christ is mine already. And I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Because the thing is that just because something is a legal reality, it, ha it is it is, it belongs to you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll enjoy it unless you give thanks for it and unless you actually go to the bank and take the money out. And the way you do that is by acknowledging with your mouth and by taking possession of it with the words of your mouth and by thanking God for it. Amen. So anyway, so we are already blessed with every blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. And then it says here, uh, Ephesians 1 4 according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love that is the next verse Ephesians 1 4 and I tell you this this verse helped me a lot because years ago I used to because of the past I had lived you know my my sins of the past and the way I used to live my life and I had a, although I was saved and I I believed up here that yes Jesus loved me but in here in in my heart it was very really hard for me to accept and understand that Jesus could love me because I know he loves me but how could he love someone like me because of all the things I've done and because of the things I've done I've got so many bad habits because when you do a thing many many times it becomes a bad habit and I was always you know, doing things that were wrong and I felt guilty and condemned and I couldn't understand how God could keep on loving someone like me. And uh, and so I used to live in continuous condemnation. I, I knew I couldn't let go of Christ because he was my only hope and without him I was totally lost. So although I was saved, I held on to Christ, but I lived under terrible condemnation and I had zero faith because, and I know many of you feel the same way, but until I came to this scripture, I remember, I'll never forget when I read this. It says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and before blame before him in love. And I said, Father, I thank you. I just see this, that you have chosen me. You, I didn't choose it, but you chose me because you obviously look past my faults and you decided that in spite of me being the way I am, you still chose me. And you chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before you and in your love. So I realized that, you know, God looks at me as holy and blameless. And how could he look at me as holy and blameless? And then one day I read about Paul, how Paul was actually a participant in the, in the murder of Stephen, one of the uh, the first uh, uh, first martyrs of the church when Stephen was told uh, was stoned to death, Paul was there 
and he was actually taking care of everybody's coats because they had taken their coats off so they could stone Stephen. He was part of it. But later on in his life, he said, I have not done any man any wrong. That's what he said. I'm free from any guilt. And then I realized he took part in the murder of Stephen. I mean, that's worse than anything that I've done in my life. And still he could say that he was without blame and uh, he has not done any man any harm. How could he say that? And then I, I meditated on that and I realized it's because of this verse that I was reading that because God had made him holy and blameless in his sight because of the blood of Jesus. So that is why he could say with a clean conscience, I have not done any man any harm. And he could say that not because his, of his own experience and his flesh, but because of the power of the blood of Jesus that could wipe out all his sins. And then I suddenly realized that the blood of Jesus is far more powerful than all my sins. So I can say that I am without blame and I am holy in the eyes of God. Hallelujah. And that is one of the most wonderful things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, that he has declared us holy and blameless in his sight because of his love. Hallelujah. So I am holy and blameless, not because of what I've done or not done, but because of what Jesus has done for me and because Jesus has declared that I'm holy and blameless in his sight. Hallelujah. Then it says here, 1 John 3, 2, that's the next, excuse me. <clears throat> First John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are even here and now God's children. He says, Beloved, here in this world and right now, and this is the moment that I'm speaking to you. We are God's children. It is not yet disclosed, made clear, made clear what we shall be hereafter. But we know that when he comes and is manifested, we shall as God's children resemble and be like him, for we shall see him just as he really is. So who I am in Christ Jesus, I am a child of God here and now. And when I go to the other side, when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to be look, I'm going to look exactly like him. I'll be like a photocopy of him. I'm going to be like him. But here and now, I am a child of God. I'm loved and accepted by God. Amen. 1 John 4, 17. It says, because as he is, so are we in this world. So as Jesus is, so are we in this world. It, when we are in the hereafter, we will look exactly like him. But here in this world, right now, we are as he is. That's what the Bible says. We look at ourselves and we can say, as Jesus is, so am I in this world. Because how can I say that? How can, and I, how can someone like me make such an outrageous claim? Well, God is the one who made the outrageous claim. He is the one who said in 1 John 4, 17, that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. Hallelujah. So as Jesus is, you and I are in this world. And that's why Jesus lives in us and he manifests himself through us. Now, Romans 8 verses 15 to 17. It says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The spirit of bondage again to fear is he's talking about bondage to the law of Moses. That's what he's talking about. He said, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, 
for the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Hallelujah. So it says that we have not received the spirit of bondage into fear. Uh, the spirit of bondage causes us to live in fear. But we have received the spirit of adoption. That means we have been adopted as children, not only adopted, but we are born again. We are born into the family of God. And God adoption here doesn't mean in the sense that you are not born, but you're kind of legally adopted. It means more than that. It means we are born, but we are brought in and we are born again. And we are now, we are, and it says the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And because we have received the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Abba, Father. You know, Abba is a, an intimate way of saying Father, like we call that we, uh, uh, is, is the equivalent of calling Daddy. Daddy, you know. And uh, the equivalent of of the English word daddy is Abba. Now Abba is, is the most familiar or the most intimate way uh, a, a child can approach his father is to call him Abba. In fact, when I grew up, you know, in the Middle Eastern culture, we say Abba, uh, Abba, that means daddy. So I remember when I grew up, my father, as far as I can remember, for me, he was always Abba. That's what he called him, Abba. Abba was my father. So me, my brother, all of us, we all, we all the kids, we called him Abba. And for me, it was, it was just who he was. He was Abba. And then when I, I became a Christian, then I learned that God was also our father, but he was father. He was the more formal father. So I got used to calling God father until one day I saw in the Bible that, hey, God is really actually Abba. He's not really father, he's Abba. Uh, so uh, then I understood that the same intimacy, that the same closeness, the same way I could address my father, my earthly father, I could uh, also approach and address my heavenly father in the same way. So that my heavenly father was not really father, but he was also Abba. So I looked at the relationship you know, in my culture uh, of a child with his Abba. And I suddenly realized that God expect, expects us to have the same kind of relationship with him as we do with our earthly natural father, uh, like we, we call him daddy. And uh, so, you know, he's our dad and he's our daddy. And so uh, that's the father son or the father daughter relationship, that close intimate relationship. That is the kind of relationship we can have with God. So it says that we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Abba. We can cry out, Abba. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when, uh, when, uh, you know, when, uh, uh, I remember when my, uh, Dad used to come home from the office. I used to run out to see him, Abba, Abba, Abba. I used to run to him with my arms stretched out, call him Abba. And when I was a kid, if I ever wet my pants, I used to go, Abba. But it was the same thing. It was different expressions, but it was always Abba. He was always Abba. 
in whatever situation I was in, uh, that Abba never changed. So it says that we have the spirit of adoption. That is why we can call God Abba, our daddy. And, uh, and it says that the spirit, the Holy Spirit actually bears witness that we are the children of God. And then it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. So it says that uh, he's our Abba and we are children of God. And also we are heirs of God, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That means that everything that belongs to the father is our inheritance. An heir is one who receives an inheritance from somebody. So if you have an inheritance from God, you are an heir. So it says we are heirs of God. That means that everything that belongs to the father belongs to us. And we are joint heirs with Christ. That means that everything uh, that the father has belongs to Jesus. So it also be belongs to Jesus, but it also belongs to us because we are joint heirs. We are heirs together with Christ. So whatever belongs to Jesus also belongs to us. And then it says, if we, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. There's a caveat that we must be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. This thing about air uh, or, or being a joint heir with Christ, this is not a prosperity gospel where, you know, you go through life gliding on an easy chair and, uh, 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 and you don't believe that a Christian has to endure any difficulties, difficulties or persecution and that uh, only the good parts, you know, what I mean by the good parts, they are the only parts that really count for you and me. But uh, all this part about suffering and uh, enduring difficulties and hardships, uh, they don't count. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, but it works only if we are willing to suffer with him. That means that we must be willing to suffer and pay whatever it costs to get the gospel out to the lost and, and um, you know, endure difficulties, endure hardships, endure persecution, whatever comes uh, to be uh, somebody who carries the gospel. And when I say persecution, I don't mean, you know, like a famous uh, big prosperity preacher in America. His son really, his son actually came on TV and said that, uh, and said that some people had called them names and written some bad things about them on the internet. And he says, this is the worst kind of persecution in the church ever since the book of Acts. Listen, get real about this, okay? That is not persecution. People writing bad things about you on the internet is not persecution. Uh, what is persecution is when people get arrested, people get beaten, people get killed for the sake of the gospel. And as I speak right now, there are people all over the world paying the price for the sake of the gospel to get the gospel out to those who have never heard it before. So any, any difficulty that, uh, that ministers in America have, uh, you know, what, or what they call difficulties, that is not persecution. In fact, that doesn't even come close to qualifying. Okay. So if we are to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, there are two criteria. Firstly, is because we are children of God. Because we are children of God, because Jesus has paid the price for it, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Heir, joint heirs with Christ. But the second thing is, are we willing to uh, to to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And to do that, we have to change our whole concept of ministry, what ministry is all about. 
ministry is not having a big ministry, having a lot of money and driving a big car and, and having a big following and being big on TV. That is not ministry. Ministry, if you look at ministry today, is to going out to the lost, to the sinners, wherever they are, going out to difficult countries, being willing to endure hardships and, and do whatever it takes, whatever it costs to reach the lost with the gospel. There's a lost and dying world out there who are dying without uh, hearing about Jesus. And we have to embrace the cause of the gospel and being be and be willing to take the gospel out to the lost. And then in the course of that, there is suffering, there is persecution. Yes, there's things that do come our way. And to be able to embrace those difficulties and those persecutions uh, with joy and with faith, just for the sake of winning souls for Jesus. Now, that is real persecution. Okay, so. Uh, I must make this very clear because where the Bible does talk about heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, it also talks about uh, enduring persecution. Uh, and it says, if we suffer with Jesus, then we shall be glorified with Jesus. We get glorified with Jesus only if we, if we are willing to suffer with him. Glory comes with suffering. In fact, uh, there used to be a song we used to sing when I was a new believer. It says, if you will not bear the cross, you cannot wear a crown. So the, the cross brings the crown. There's no crown without the cross. There is no glory without suffering. It's a part and, the, and parcel of the gospel. Okay. Now, um, sorry to rock your boat, but really I'm not sorry. I know this is a part of the great American gospel, the easy chair gospel, but that's not the real gospel. The real gospel is when Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow after me. So, I mean, all these blessings from God about healing, about financial blessings, all these things are real, but they are all subject to one thing. Are we willing to lay down everything and forsake everything and to take up our cross and follow Jesus and do whatever it takes, suffer whatever it costs, in, in order to be able to take the gospel out to the lost and dying. Praise God. Anyway, let's go. Let's read from Romans chapter 8. I'm reading from Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 39. It says, for what shall we say to these things? This is rather self-explanatory if you listen to this. If God be for us, who can be against us? So God is for us and he's not against us. It says that he that spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It means that, that uh, God who gave up Jesus for us all, how much more wouldn't he freely give us everything else that we need? And so he says that God will, because he was willing to send his son to the cross to die for us, surely he'd be willing to give us everything that we need. Then he says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. It means that who will put any blame on us? Who can dare stand and accuse us and blame us? Because God is the one who justifies us. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yet rather it is rather, rather that is risen again, who even is at the right hand of, the God, of, of God, also making intercession for us. So it means that who dares stand up and condemn us and speak condemnation upon us? Because 
Jesus who died is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me. He is speaking on our behalf. He is praying for us. Jesus who died and rose from the dead is at the right hand of the Father praying for you and me, making intercession for you and me. So who is it who dares stand and accuse us? It says, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That means all these difficulties. That means persecution or distress or famine or going, that is going without food or not having clothes or, or, or by sword means being killed. He says, are these things, can these things even separate us from the love of Christ? He says, as it is written, written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He says that we are being slaughtered and killed. He says, no, even in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That means even the worst things that can ever happen to Christians on this earth, that is, persecution or prison or being killed or, or, or famine, not having food to eat in all these things. It says we are more than conquerors to Christ who has loved us. Hallelujah. That, you know, let, let, let me just say this. You know, when I was in prison for almost that year, it was a terrible, terrible time, but uh, it was very, very difficult. And they told me I would not come out of there alive and they would kill me. But I tell you one thing that was always there the love of God. I never felt forsaken by God. You might not understanding, you who believe in the American feel-good gospel, you might not understand it, how someone can be in prison and suffer and not have adequate food and be deprived of everything and sleep on the floor in a filthy prison cell on a blanket covered with a dried up vomit of other prisoners, how anybody in that condition could endure that uh, that place and still believe that Jesus loved him. I tell you what, I was in that position. I went through all those things and there was one thing that never left, that never left me was the love of the Father. He, he, I knew Jesus loved me. I knew that he, he loved me and he was he never left me. He never forsook me. In that situation, it might be hard for some to understand, but that's the way it is. It says, for it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, you know what? Let, let me just finish with this thing. Who we are in Christ Jesus. We are loved by God. With his stripes we are healed. And uh, we are blessed with every blessing in Christ. We are children of God. All these things. But remember that there are times we may be called to go through very, very difficult times. And my, the first year of my Christian life, I had to go through that. I was in mental hospital, I was in prison, I was tortured. I went through a lot of horrific things and it was very difficult. And uh, I tell you one thing that, as I said a couple of minutes ago, the one thing that I, I lost everything. I lost my money, I lost everything, lost my name, lost my reputation, lost my family, everything turned against me. But there was one thing 
that nobody could take away from me. And that was the love of God. Not once during that difficult time did I ever even entertain the thought. It didn't even enter my mind. Does God really love me? No, not even once. I can't explain it to you why, but it was in those most difficult times in my life that Jesus, I remember when he visited me, uh, his, you know, in the prison cell, the Holy Spirit actually came and visited me. And, and then I was shaking and I was weeping. And then God, I heard a voice, audible voice, read the verse to me from uh, Matthew 25. He says, I was in prison and you came unto me. And I knew that Jesus had been there with me. So it says that even we can, we can go through death or life or, 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 or uh, attacks and uh, prison, persecution, all these things. He says, there's two things. Firstly, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Because of Jesus, even in the most difficult situations in our lives, beloved, we stand as more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And secondly, is that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. Hallelujah. Let me pray together with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Father, for your hand upon each one of our lives. I ask you to bless them and bless their families. Thank you for long life and blessing and healing for our bodies. I thank you that healing and blessings belong to us. Prosperity belongs to us so that we may fulfill your purposes. Use us for your glory, Father. And Lord, thank you for speaking to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it. And I'll be seeing you again tomorrow. And tomorrow we are going to continue on in the subject of our identity and authority in Christ. And we'll be talking about the authority of the believer. God bless you.